Welcome to Let's Talk Micro. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Micro. I hope you had a great week, as always. Remember that Let's Talk Micro is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Tuning Radio, Overcast, Pandora. Wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find Let's Talk Micro. I am also on Instagram as Let's Talk Micro, no apostrophe, and on Twitter as Let's Talk Micro 1. So go ahead and follow. I always like to post pictures of organisms and give updates as to when new episodes are coming out. On the last episode, there was a great interview with Xander and Maria that they were promoting their website, medlabscholar.com. Uh, Xander and Maria, there are two medical laboratory technologists that are promoting that website. So they're taking steps to make sure that provide more information for students and professionals in the medical laboratory sciences field. It is great work they're doing out there. I commend them. So please, if you get a chance, go ahead and check out episode 32, which is called Talking Lab with Xander and Maria. Prior to that, on episode 31, I finished going over CNS Right, I talked about the protocol for blood cultures. I mentioned that we do susceptibilities when we have the same species on two sets. And this protocol is also followed for streptococcus viridians. And then I also went over two different uh, species of gram-positive coccine clusters that we see in the bench. One of them being micrococcus. We see more often than the other one, which is aerococcus. Micrococcus can have different pigmentations, but the one that we see in the lab, it tends to be yellow. It has microtase positive, and you can presumptively identify it with this. It is not identified by blood culture, you know, PCR, nucleic acid methods. So once it grows on the plate, on the bench, even if it's positive from a blood culture, when it comes on the bench, that's when you perform the microtase disc. And then you can, if it's positive, you can call it microcarcal species. If you want to learn again how to perform the microdase disc, check out this podcast. There's an episode in it where I go over in detail. So I talked about Aerococcus and I mentioned two species, Aerococcus urinae and Aerococcus viridens. Aerococcus viridens is uh, normal flora. And then Aerococcus urinae causes urinary tract infections in elderly patients. So very typical presentation, you have a 70, 80 year old patient, you have an urine culture, and you can see like E. coli, but you see also these alpha colonies that they are gram-positive coccine clusters and PYR negative. So I talked about how you can identify it. Typically you can do a web prep to see the clusters. If you, if you do so, then proceed to the PYR. Aerococcus viridens, it's PYR positive. Aerococcus urinae is PYR negative. You cannot appreciate the clusters by either a wet mount or gram stain, then go ahead and set up an ID on it. But before you do that, do the PYR. If you have, if you have a PYR positive, then you have Aerococcus viridens. But if your PYR is negative, then proceed to identify it. And this is where I mentioned that instruments like the Molotov, you know, they come in very handy because you don't perform susceptibilities for Micrococcus nor Aerococcus. So if you get these colonies on the Molotov, 
you can identify it and then you are done with that culture so it comes in very handy i mean with the aerococcus urna if you're trying to rule it out and you don't have multitop you won't have to set up a vitec id which depending on what your lab's reading schedule is it might wait until the next day depending if your institution they do plate reading on second or third shift i mean some do some large hospitals they do that but if not then it's going to wait till the next day whereas if you have multitop you set it up you know within 10 minutes if everything is working properly you get that id and you are done go ahead and check out that episode episode 31 if you want to learn more about aerococcus and micrococcus on today's episode i want to go over streptococcus pyogenes i think most of us at some point in time you know we had an infection with it streptococcus pyogenes is implicated in many infections and one of them is pharyngitis so before i go over so we were talking about gram positive coccine clusters and then we were also on the differential you know once you're doing your testing you have staph which is catalase positive so now these are catalase negative and they're also gram positive cocci in chains like i said you know at some point in time we all had strep throat i i had it as an adult and it was an awful experience i remember that it was like swallowing rocks you know with strep throat which is a throat infection caused by streptococcus pyogenes you get sore throat and your tonsils get swollen and sometimes they have white patches a foul smell comes out i remember that i had that too and i remember that the doctor was swabbing and they were stepping back they were saying i can definitely smell it so strep throat colonizes the throat and skin and you get it when you come in contact with droplets that have the bacteria for example coughing or drinking from the same container of someone infected with it and besides strep throat do you know what other diseases diseases is it implicated on well you have impetigo cellulitis necrotizing fasciitis and bacteremia so fascia is the tissue under the skin that surrounds muscles nerves fat and blood vessels and necrotizing means tissue death this is definitely a very serious disease of course you know if you have dying dying tissue it's definitely very serious you have also streptococcal toxic shock syndrome and this is when the bacteria gets into the blood and deep tissues and it can result in multiple organ failure other diseases are scarlet fever rheumatic fever and post streptococcal glomerulonephritis and what is that glomerulonephritis well this is a kidney infection that can happen after being infected with streptococcus pyogenes infections with streptococcus pyogenes they can progress to deep tissue infections which they are referred to as flesh eating and i'm sure at some point in time we all heard that flesh eating so this is definitely a very serious organism so now that we have talked about you know disease states what it can cause what is the virulence you know the, what are the virulence factors well you have streptolysing o and s and what are streptolysing o and s well these are hemolysins that contribute to tissue infection and destruction i mean tissue invasion 
and destruction. Streptolysing S is oxygen stable and can lyse white blood cells, red blood cells, and platelets. Streptolysing O can lyse the same cells, but it is broken down by oxygen. So you have streptolysing O, streptolysing S, you also have the M protein and protein F. So there you have it, you have many virulence factors. So now that we know what Streptococcus pyogenes E is, how do we identify it in the lab? Well, like I said, it's a gram-positive cocci in pairs and chains. As far as growing in media, it grows on blood, chocolate, PEA agar. It is a facultative anaerobe, and by now we have talked about this, so you know that a facultative anaerobe is an organism that can grow in anaerobic conditions. So you will see it if you have a, a blood plate incubated anaerobically, or if you have a, a CDC agar plate, Streptococcus pyogenes will grow. So what do the colonies look like? Well, they are grayish white and have a large zone of beta hemolysis. And I tell you that recently, I mean, some of you, depending on what kind of, if, what kind of experience or how long you've been working, you might see this, but lately I have seen alpha hemolytic colonies that ID as Streptococcus pyogenes. Um, either they're alpha, you know, I put them on the Molotov, they come as Streptococcus pyogenes, and then you subculture them, and then the next day they are beta hemolytic. Maybe some of you have seen this before I hadn't, so it's pretty interesting. So like I mentioned, you know, so now we talked about hemolysis, it is beta hemolytic. What about biochemicals? Well, it is catalase negative and it is PYR positive. So this is a distinguishing feature. You know, all other species for the strep genera, they are PYR negative. And do you know what other genera is PYR positive? Enterococcus. So when you are doing your differential testing, so right, so you, if you're a student, you're going by a flow chart. Maybe your lab has some sort of decision tree in the software that you use to, you know, to work up your cultures, to document the workup. So as you're going down the steps, you know, like you with a flow chart, and I posted one on my Instagram page, right? So you have catalase, positive, you go down the staff direction, catalase negative, you go down the strep direction, and of course I'm talking about gram-positive cocci. So when you are doing your differential testing, you have a beta-hemolytic strep that is catalase negative and is PYR positive. In all likelihood, you have strep A. And I like to say in all likelihood because Enterococcus fecalis can sometimes be beta-hemolytic, but to a lesser extent. And those of you that work in the lab and deal with PEA, you're probably thinking, oh, maybe he's talking about PEA. And while you are correct in the sense that Enterococcus fecalis on PEA a lot of times tends to be beta-hemolytic, what I'm talking about is that sometimes you can have Enterococcus fecalis as beta-hemolytic growing on blood agar. I have seen this working on the urine bench. So at that point in time, it's always good. I mean, it is more unusual but keep that in mind. But if you have catalase negative, PYR positive, gram positive cocci, in all likelihood you have strep A. And this is why it's good to go ahead and, at that time, go ahead and perform a strep typing.
which I'm going to talk more about. And when you do that typing, it is positive for A, and that is for the Lansfield's classification system. So, and this is how you, when you're working on throat cultures, and I will talk more about this, you see beta hemolytic colonies that are suspicious of strep. You perform a PYR, and if it's positive, you report it as streptococcus pyogenes or group A strep, but you also do the typing. And if it's not A, it is reported as beta strep, not A. And you're listening, what is group A? He's saying A. Well, this is the Lansfield system. This is the classification for beta hemolytic strep that is based on the antigenic difference of the C carbohydrates. So this carbohydrate is in the cell wall of strep. So in this system, streptococcus pyogenes is classified as group A. Now, when I'm talking about group A strep, I am referring to streptococcus pyogenes. So those terms are interchangeable. So if you hear me say streptococcus pyogenes or group A strep, I am talking about the same organism. So in the lab, we test for this using a latex agglutination test. And in this test, you know, there is an IgG coupled with the latex that is specific for a particular antigen. It's a very simple test. You know, it has different types of latex for Lansfield's groups A, B, C, F, and G. But you should do a PYR first, and if it's positive, then go ahead and test for A. If it's negative, then you should test for the other groups. And a very popular test in the lab that we use for this is the PathoDX, which, like I said, it tests for Lansfield's groups A, B, C, F, and G. And remember, this is for beta hemolytic strep. If you want to learn more about PYR and strep typing, check out episode 7 of this podcast. Now, you know, also besides checking out the episode, which is episode 7, like I said, keep some things in mind. This test is based for, it's intended for colonies that are beta hemolytic. And I like to mention this because some of you, some of you that work in the lab, those of you that work in the lab, or as you, you know, you're going through a flow chart, you have in your notes and your documents, you know, you have read, you know, there are organisms that can have all three hemolysis, you know, streptococcus anginosus is one of them. It can be alpha hemolytic, it can be beta hemolytic, and it can be gamma hemolytic. However, you will only perform the typing, and this is important for you students out there, because you can get confused if you're doing a typing on a test or some sort of lab exercise. You will only do the typing when the colonies are beta hemolytic. And also do them from a blood agar plate. And I'm going to tell you why. I have a story. So this happened a while ago. You should never type from the PEA. One, colonies, like I mentioned, they look different. Enterococcus fecalis looks beta hemolytic on PEA. And then once you sub it to a gamma, to a gamma to a blood agar plate, then it goes back to being gamma hemolytic. So this is something to keep in mind when you are working cultures. I mentioned that your standard setup has blood chocolate MAC. A lot of times it has PEA, which is actually a really good idea because you tend to have infections where you have many gram-negative rods. So that PEA will give the gram-positives a chance to grow. But then on this PEA, that enterococcus fecalis a lot of times tends to be beta-hemolytic. 
and you think that you have some sort of beta stroke. So there's a story about one time there was a Enterococcus fecalis that was growing on PEA and it was typed and it actually typed for B, which is another, um, another Lansfield classification system, another Lansfield group. So it was reported as Streptococcus agalactiae, but then upon review, based on other cultures that were present, this organism was Enterococcus fecalis. So always be careful. Make sure that when you're doing your typing, you have a blood outer plate. And this is why typically, I don't know what's going on in your labs, but in the ones that I worked on, typically when we have a PEA plate, we circle the fact that it's PEA. Or maybe the instrument that prints your labels already has labels that say, you know, that which agar is it. But it's always a good, good practice to go ahead and circle that it's a PEA. That way when techs are on the bench, you know, sometimes you have a lot going on. You're working with multiple cultures, right? Because it doesn't work like that where we can only work with one. We always have many, and then depending on the facility, you're a smaller facility, they have to read cultures and do other types of testing at the same time. So it is a good good practice to go ahead and have that media if you have a BEA circle. That way when you're working, you have that visual alert that you have a PEA agar. And then if you have something that you're thinking that is beta strep, then you don't perform the typing, depending on how many colonies you have. You can either subculture it to a blood plate for the next day or set up a Vitec. Depending on your institution, a lot of places will validate Vitec for PEA. So you can run staff and terracogos. So that's an alternative. And this is one of the organisms that you can actually presumptively identify. And that, like I always like to say, is when you are, you can call an organism what it is based on morphology and biochemicals. So for group A strep, beta hemolytic colonies, PYR positive, latex A positive, you can go ahead and report them as Streptococcus pyogenes. No further Vitek, Malditov, uh, nothing else is needed. But however, if you don't have enough colonies, you can go ahead and you can also use automated systems. You know, like the Molotov, you only need a few colonies and you can identify it on the Vitek, of course, and other systems. But if you're on the bench, you know, you have PYR, you have latex, and you have that hemolysis, there is no need to put it on one of those instruments. You can go ahead and call it Streptococcus pyogenes. Another thing, and this is for you students out there, strep A is susceptible to bacitracing, which differentiates it from other streps as well. So keep this in mind when you are taking exams, when you have some sort of case study where they give you some beta hemolytic colonies that are PYR positive, bacitracing, susceptible. So keep that in mind. When you are taking your test out there, Always look for those classic clues, right? Very classic scenarios that pinpoint in which direction you're going, which bacteria you have. Always keep that in mind. And of course, you know, this is such a significant organism that 
instruments that we you know use for blood cultures, you know, either like a PCR or nucleic acid methods, they will identify it. When you have a blood, you know, that's flagged positive in the system, you know, the, your bottle is flagged, you do your gram stain, it's flagged. You do your gram stain, gram positive coxine chains. You put that blood through the instrument and it will identify it. Either some of these methods like, um, I think like Luminex, um, BioFire, they will identify Streptococcus pyogenes. So this is definitely a significant source and you must rule it out. So if you see it, it always needs to be reported. And of course, with um, Streptococcus pyogenes, you don't need to do susceptibilities because it is susceptible to penicillin. So once you have identified it, you can release that ID. So you can you have identified it either by any of those methods, you know, latex A, PYR, or any of the instruments. You can go ahead and report a Streptococcus pyogenes, and you are done with it. You don't do susceptibilities on Strep A. I mean, you might get a request from a physician to perform them, and in that case, depending on your facility and your medical, on your, you know, your microbiologist, you know, your PhD or your director, depending on what the policy is, they might honor it, they might not. But typically, you don't do susceptibilities on Streptococcus pyogenes. And that, my dear audience, is the end of this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening about Group A Strep, because I definitely enjoyed talking about it. As always, continue bringing that motivation to everything you do. It's so important to bring that passion. So, as always, continue staying motivated, stay safe, and of course, continue talking micro until the next time. Bye.